Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Natalie Sisson with me. Natalie is the founder of The Suitcase Entrepreneur. Natalie is a writer, author, speaker, blogger, and fun-loving, down-to-earth entrepreneur. Natalie travels the world as she runs her business from her laptop. I'm excited to have her with us today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I've been uh, reading your blog for years and, uh, you know, watched your videos and been following you for a long time. So it's a real honor to have you on my on my podcast. Oh, thank you. I didn't actually know that. That's very cool. <laughs> since, since 2006, uh, when you left your hometown in New Zealand, you had a life of freedom. Uh, you've been living out of your suitcase. How did you manage the perfect life or how did you imagine the perfect life back in 2006 and is the life you live now is what you had in mind back then actually 2006 was when I left New Zealand and headed off to London England to find a job and also do more travel um, but since then is it the life that I was expecting no not really but I definitely wanted to travel more and I wanted more freedom in my life and I think it's better than I could have ever expected or imagined in my in my own mind um, and it was really 2010 when I started living out of my suitcase, which kind of came about just through me wanting more freedom and wanting to do what I wanted when I wanted from where I wanted. So it's been a pretty amazing journey, and I'm very happy with how it's going. And back in, uh, I read on your on your blog, I believe that uh, in 2009 you started a cool tech business. What what was mm -hmm. that business? Yeah, it was late 2008. It's called Fundraiser is the Facebook application. It's actually a, obviously a fundraising application, the number one in Facebook. And the company is called Connection Point. So we started as a tech company to build an application that would allow people to make easy online payments and fees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and really it was just a complete for me, dive into the entrepreneurial deep end and trying to figure out everything, like how to create an app, how to work with Facebook, which changes all the time, how to deal with payment applications, how to build a customer base from scratch, um, how to build a team of developers, get customers, use social media. So really great learning experience for me and my first foray into entrepreneurship. Is that business still online or running? Yes, it's definitely still running. I think they're into year four or five and they're profitable now and they have over a million users of the app. So I'm really, really proud of the team. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, in December of 2010, you have rebranded the Suitcase Entrepreneur to focus both on men and women. Initially, you only focused on female entrepreneurs. What caused the pivot? The reason I initially focused on female entrepreneurs is in the tech sector, it's just heavily male-dominated, and it still is. So for me, I wanted to interview and talk to and learn from women entrepreneurs, founders, CEOs, etc., who'd done really well. Um, what caused the shift is that I realized as I became more of the suitcase entrepreneur and living this kind of designer lifestyle or location independence, there were a lot more men who were capable or able to do this, um, often younger men who will be traveling the world with their laptop doing that, more so than women who will often be with a partner or maybe not wanting to travel quite the same way. Now, I think that's changing, but it's still, I guess, in some ways more prominent that uh, guys will be doing that. And I just found more men entering my community. And so really, I was always writing to anybody who was interested in entrepreneurship and specifically doing it from anywhere. Um, but I just found I was getting more and more 
I guess, attention and feedback from guys. So I made it more relatable to anybody who wanted to pack up their business and travel the world. And and when you started the suitcase entrepreneur, what were your goals? What did the suitcase entrepreneur look like in your dream or as you know the perfect world? What 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 were your goals back then? <laughs> I think you know I don't know if I had a really clear cut plan, but the minute I realized that I'd run a workshop in Vancouver, Canada, that I could turn that physical workshop into an online program. And the minute I made a few sales and recognized, wow, I can actually make money online by packaging great knowledge and information that people actually want, then that's when I kind of started opening my mind to, wow, I could actually live somewhere else. So I flew off to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And um, I was like, if I can do it there where they speak Spanish and the internet's not that great, then maybe I can do this from anywhere. And maybe I don't have to have a base ever. Uh, so I think from there it became clearer to me what was possible. Uh, and it was actually in January last year when I put together my painted picture, which is my vision for my business and life for the next three years as if it's already happened. That's when I got really, really clear on what's possible, the impact I wanted to make, how many entrepreneurs I wanted to help to create freedom of business and adventure in life. So it wasn't like clear cut from the beginning at all. <laughs> so how important is it for for everybody, you think, to to come up with that? you know, clear vision of what what is their goal and and how often do you think people actually do that? I think it's ridiculously important and unfortunately, George, I don't think they do it enough at all. So it's actually something that I take all my clients through now, my coaching clients, um, customers of my program. I've got a pilot program coming out and it's going to feature really heavily because I think the number one reason people aren't doing what they want is because they actually don't know what they want to be doing. So for me, it was really important and I always had a, a pretty clear vision of where I wanted to head. But by putting that out there publicly online saying, here's where I think I'd love to be in three years as if it's already happening, like with a best-selling book and all the stuff that I wrote in it, um, it was just incredible for me because by the end of the year, 60% of that had come true. And that just shows you how powerful it is when you, when you get clear and you write it down and you put it out there, what you'll actually do to make that happen and come true. And so how did you initially create awareness about the suitcase entrepreneur? How did I create awareness initially? Yeah, like Mar, well, how did you market it? How did you build a following? Uh, I mean, that's one of the most important aspects of any business. So how, yeah, how did you definitely. do it? Uh, a lot of hard work and hustle initially. You know, offline and online, I would go to a lot of networking events. I would talk about the kind of work I was doing. Online, I was learning everything I could about blogging, the art of writing really great headlines, of creating great content. I started dabbling with podcasting myself. I started putting out videos. I was guest posting. I was commenting on other people's posts. I was introducing myself to influencers. And I was just really working hard to understand and learn exactly what it takes to market online, in addition to what I'd learned at Fundraiser, because really we built that business online through social media. So I took all that stuff that I'd learned. I took my eight years in the corporate world of doing marketing and branding and business development and then I took my online learning and just, you know, really upskilling myself and taking courses or programs or going to events wherever I could to just make myself known, to become visible and to start to make kind of waves in the online community. So it was a, there was a lot of combinations of factors there, really. So how, how long did it take you to get your first customer, your first paying customer? Actually, it was in the first year, in the first um, four or five months, right about the time that are coming down to having zero money. I picked up a consulting client who needed help with their startup with leveraging social media. 
So I didn't really want to go the client consulting route, but it was good money. Um, it was an area that I felt I could add a lot of value to. And then not long after that client and understanding what they needed from me and their pain points and their questions around social media and developing you know, a business startup through it is when I did my workshops. And so I actually ran three sellout workshops in a row in Vancouver, made about 15000 and was like, okay, now I'm off and running. And that from that came my first digital online program. So uh, I would it was six months of earning nothing. And so just so let's talk about that six months because I think a lot of people quit when that happens, right? Mm-hmm. So what kept you going? Were you disappointed? Were you just, you know, say, yeah, you know, this might take me two years. This might take me a year. Were you okay with that? What What were your thought processes back then and how how did you feel about your business before you got your first paying co- clients or your first few paying clients? Um, I wasn't disappointed because this was my first real attempt at running my own business outside of being a co-founder. I thought it was probably one of the scariest and most exciting things at the same time, but I was really determined. Like There was no way I was going back into the corporate world. I could take a job at any time and probably get paid really well, but that to me just felt like a cop-out and an excuse. Like I was at the perfect time and opportunity to prove to myself that I was capable of doing my own thing. Um, but I wouldn't say necessarily that I thought of myself as an entrepreneur or a businesswoman for those first six to nine or 12 months um, just because I was just trying to learn everything and figure it out. And often I think in that first six to 12 months, you feel like you don't know anything. You doubt all the things that you think you do know. And yeah, those are definitely the most defining and toughest months. So I think it was really lucky at that time. I actually took on a mentor, um, became part of a sort of a mentoring program because having somebody to talk to and kind of go, oh my God, I'm not going crazy, uh, was really useful for me. Was that a formal mentoring process or was it just someone that you reached out to and periodically talked to or emailed back and forth? It was a formal mentoring process that I did when I was still working at Fundraiser through the um, a Women Entrepreneurs Foundation. Um, but then I always kept in touch with that mentor and also just all the people that I'd met in my time in Vancouver. I was just quite strategic about reaching out to a couple who I thought were really supportive and just asking them if I could meet up um, you know, once a month or every couple of months for coffee and just talk about a specific area that I was challenged by. And then I started meeting more entrepreneurs who I made an effort to hang out with and meet up with often just to share our experiences. So what do you think is more important initially for you to feel some level of success, revenue or recognition or, you know, let's say if you're trying to guest post and getting accepted to other blogs and websites, what do you think is a, is a good early win for somebody? That's a really good question. I mean, obviously, revenue means that you have a legitimate business. If you've got revenue flowing in the door, that's a good thing and you've got to be proud of that. But I think for me, it was probably more recognition. And if anything, it was external recognition and then my own internal recognition that, you know what, Natalie, um, you've done this on your own. You've managed to achieve this. So that's awesome. Now now can we take it to the next step? I think it's a combination of things. Um, obviously, to be recognized by your peers or other people to say, hey, this girl knows what she's doing or you know, getting customers on board who actually trust you and support you is a pretty incredible feeling. But I think it really has to come from within. So as being, being a, a woman uh, who's trying to build a business, do you think you had more challenges? What are some of the challenges that you had, you think, because of, you're a woman as opposed to being a, a man in the business world? That's a great question. You know, not enough people ask that. Um, <laughs> yes, I think there's a ton of challenges. I still feel 
Uh, in the business world in particular, it's heavily male-dominated across so many industries. And women in general have to fight harder. Um, sometimes we're, at, we're our own worst enemies. I know a ton of supportive guys in my community and my world who are excellent, excellent, smart, strategic businessmen. Same for women. But I do think we do have to fight harder in general. Sometimes that's because we doubt ourselves more. Uh, we don't take as many risks initially or we don't necessarily, what I found often, is charge enough or promote ourselves enough. Men are excellent at networking um, and they're really good at promoting themselves and standing up for what they believe in and saying, here's what I'm really good at. Women are more thinking about community, um, other people, etc., and wanting to help. So yeah, I think I've written so many articles on this because I find it a fascinating topic. But in general, yeah, I'd love to have some more um, I guess a few more leg ups and a few more wins for women really because often in the media world as well, men are often promoted far more heavily and when you look at online influences or even offline influences, it's often a proliferation of men and I think there needs to be more women seen there because there's so many doing incredible work. There are a lot of uh, influencers out there and there are both men and women so, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but but I would, you know, I think there are a lot more men. So, if you are a woman and you're trying to start a business, want to become an entrepreneur, do you think it's better to get advice from a, from a female entrepreneur, somebody that has been there and done that? I would actually say both. I, I feel like men and women have a different perspective. I think from a support perspective, from a really understanding what challenges they faced, it's great to have a woman there. Um, but ultimately, the best support and mentoring can get is from somebody who's in the industry or the business that you're in or going into that has done and achieved what you want to achieve because they're going to be able to fast track you there. So I think it really comes down to the right person for the job that has that you admire and has done what you want to do. So I'm very, very interested in the first one year of being in business in general because so many businesses fail. And I think the first 12 months is so crucial, you know, for everything from trying to generate revenue, getting customers and structuring your business the right way. What do you think are some of the greatest challenges businesses face during the first 12 months? Or, or maybe what do you think they should be focusing on in the first 12 months? Great question. Uh, so many things. There are I probably a million different things, yeah. but maybe a, a few Actually, that comes to mind. I think it comes back to that vision thing. So I think a lot of people when they start out, they're so busy just trying to learn all the ins and outs of running a business. You know, you, you're the CEO, you're wearing every single hat possible and you barely have time to look at the business, let alone work on it. You're just involved in it. So I would suggest that <laughs> that is the definitive year in which you actually do need to step back and have a look at what you really want to achieve because you'll get there a lot faster. It always seems like, no, no, I don't have time. I've got to work on all these things. But if you actually gave yourself you know, a weekend to really go, what do I want for this business? What, what in my wildest dreams would be amazing success or how would I feel so proud if I achieved this? I think you'd get there a lot faster in that first year. The trouble is you often don't have that vision yet. You're just trying to make ends meet or you're just starting out and you're excited. But I really do feel in hindsight, which is a great thing to have, that's actually the, the best year for you to go ahead and create some really serious plans and a real focus on what you do want to achieve and also start surrounding yourself with the right people who are going to help you achieve it. Today you have, uh, according to your website, you have nine sources of revenue, which which is very impressive and 
you know, makes perfect sense to me or anyone, I think. Uh, tell me, what were some of the early challenges of generating revenue with your business? And, and how, I mean, you, you described that this was kind of an organic development for your business. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, how did you how did you come up with all these different ideas? What do you think is the most effective? Do you think it's necessary to have uh, nine uh, different or multiple revenue sources? Ooh, that's a lot of questions. So yeah, sorry, <laughs> I was like going in a circle and I had to stop. <laughs> in a nutshell, um, yes, they were organic revenue streams, and my advice to people is obviously to pick the ones that are initially easiest to implement and that will bring you the immediate form of revenue because most people in the first year, that's what they need. So for so, me, that's So what are those, for example? What, were, what um, were those for you? Generally, it's a service-based thing. So consulting, coaching, teaching, whatever it is that you can do right now and offer as a service through your skills, your knowledge, your products, your service, whatever it is, um, and being able to get that out to market most quickly. So in my instance, it was coaching. Um, For other people, it may be web designing, a nutritional consultancy, personal training, whatever it may be. Um, And then from there, I think it's really smart to go about creating packages, products, or offerings that don't necessarily need you as actively involved so you can scale yourself. That might be group coaching. It might be an online program related to what you do. Uh, It could be a product, physical or digital so things whereby you can set it up, you can market it, you can put in the work, uh, you can launch it, which is a huge amount of work in itself. But once it's there, it's really a matter of continuing to promote it and having it sort of on autopilot, depending on what you've created. And that just allows you to have a bit more residual revenue whereby you're not always having to push or get new clients or take on new work in order to actually have revenue. And from there, for me, I really just looked at, well, what are these other things that I'm doing that would relate? So affiliate marketing became important when I realized that I had credibility, people trusted in me, and that I was already recommending products and services that I used, and I could do that and actually earn a commission. So that was something that I learned and wasn't taking very seriously, but now it's a pretty lucrative part of my business. Um, I started getting sponsorships when I had a bit more of an audience, and not even a huge audience, but I started realizing my key skill was networking with companies and businesses that I really liked working with, and that they would actually come on and support a brand and a personal brand at that because I had a good audience and I had the right kind of skill set or I had the right way of going about promoting it in an ethical way. And then speaking and my book um, and retreats and workshops kind of came just as I grew in confidence with my business, as I understood my audience, as I realized who I wanted to work with and how I wanted to work with them. You know, even though I travel all the time, I still love to meet people in person. I do some of my best work one-to-one or in groups or live. And so it's really important for me to have that mix of live um, and active revenue streams as well as residual and passive revenue streams. So, yeah, I think you, you work with what you've got. And nine may sound like a lot to people, but not all of them have prominence throughout the year. I don't prioritize all of them, and several of them become important depending on what I'm doing at whatever time. Some of them just kind of run in the background really well. Yeah, I love businesses with multiple revenue streams too. It, it makes perfect sense. Can you talk a little bit about um, reaching out to sponsors and potential advertisers? How do you do it? What advice do you have for others? Um, how should we approach it? And also, you mentioned that initially you didn't have that much traffic. What, how much traffic was that? Because I think sometimes people think I need to have 10,000 visitors a day before I can even consider getting you know, advertisers and all that. So if you can share uh, anything about that, that would be good. 
Well, that'd be nice to have 10,000 a day. I don't even have that now. Um, I, gosh, when at the time, I honestly think I had maybe 500, 500 to 1,000 people on my mailing list and maybe a couple of thousand visitors a month. But the point was I didn't sell them on how big my community was. I sold them on the type of community that I built and how engaged they were. So even though it was small, it was growing and it was the exact audience that they wanted to get in front of. Um, and I didn't I didn't lie about my stats. I said, you know, it's small and growing, but it's highly engaged, which it was. And they're your exact ideal audience because of this, this, this and this. And, you know, I wasn't asking for huge sums of money initially. I think I was asking for one hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars to be part of a tools book that I would put together. I signaled out the exact people I wanted to work with. And once you could say you had one or two on board, the rest seemed pretty pretty keen to come on board and you know a couple of hundred dollars to a big company is nothing so that was my first experimentation and paying for the complete design and kind of creation of this digital guide that I went on to sell for many years um, and then when it came to my book that was easier because I did have more of a community but ultimately I just built great relationships with people so for me sponsorships have often come from personally reaching out to people I'm connected with and saying look here's why I think we'd be a good fit um, but it doesn't require as much of an audience as you think it just requires you to be able to really visualize and see why it would be a good fit for them and pitching them in the way that makes most sense to them. So what do you think is the best method or what's the best method for you to stay engaged with your audience and to kind of keep the conversation going and to keep them excited about uh, what you're doing? I'd say care. <laughs> so many people seem to just be building up a business or a community for the sake of making more money and they don't actually care about the people in it. So I care deeply. I want to get results in my community. I want to share with them everything that I'm learning, whether it's for free or paid. You know, I give away 90% of everything I do. So recently I had my website just it was screwed up. It got taken down by a contractor. Everything went wrong that could have. And I turned around and wrote a mega post on every single step that other people could take to avoid having that done. And, you know, my, I had so many emails from my community just saying it's so lovely of you to do. I can't believe you had to go through that. Thank you so much for sharing this because I've gone and backed up my site now. I've gone and got Cloudflare. I've gone and done this. I've gone and got security measures. And, you know, people really appreciate that. Turn up, do the work, provide tons of value and show people that you care and that you're human. Is it through blog comments or is it through email? Uh, what everything, do you think really. Everything? I mean, I'm on social media. It's a huge uh, business tool for me, customer service marketing. So all my emails from my community, not every single email that comes to me, but from people who personally reach out. Um, and also I'm just, you know, I'm available, not to the point of being over the top, but I'm accessible and I'm down to earth. So I will answer all my comments on my blog. I will answer them on social media. I will engage where my audience are at. And I think they really appreciate that. And what is, what are some of the best things that you can do for your website today in this year, 2014 to drive traffic to your site? What, what is working for you? <clears throat> Um, you know, for me, it's four years of building up a reputation and continuing to show up and do the work. Um, I post my podcast on a Monday, my video on a Thursday. Every Friday, my email goes out. So I think for me, it's about reliability. People really appreciate somebody who's always there. Um, there's a lot of people who come and go. They put in the effort, then they go away, then they're suddenly back. And you know what? People want that person to know that they're, they're there and they can reach out and that they're going to be there in one year or two years. So I'd like to say there's a quick fix, but I would say turn up, um, be real, show value, and and put in the work. Like 
be there on a daily basis. That honestly is how you build community. And I think a lot of people think it's a quick win or a quick fix. You can't buy people. You can't. You can buy likes and you can buy followers, but you won't be buying any loyalty um, or any quality. So I always think it's good to just turn up and do the work. Okay. Um, what do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs? Ironically, I think it was probably social media. <laughs> so, um, you know, a lot of people jump on it and they get caught up in reading tons of feeds and different messages and videos and photos rather than going on and thinking, okay, today I'm going to connect with these five people. I'm going to, I'm going to answer questions in these three groups and I'm going to spend five to ten minutes just connecting with my friends and then I'm going to get off it again and do some real work. Um, so I think when used properly, it's a great personal tool uh, and it's a great business tool. But unfortunately, people, I think, use it as an excuse and, uh, for procrastination and not getting work done. And I've definitely done that myself. So let's say a friend came to you or maybe somebody in your family that has a job now but wants to be an entrepreneur, maybe not a suitcase entrepreneur, but an entrepreneur that has freedom or you know, uh, whatever it takes to, to make it. What would be the first thing you would teach that person? What they need to do to make it? Yeah, I mean, what do you think is the one quality that is a must-have? Well, I think the best thing is just self-belief. I've talked about that before, but for the first year at least, I really didn't probably consider myself an entrepreneur. I didn't really believe that I had what it took, and I probably, I was, I was going to use the word faff, which not everybody knows. I kind of probably played around quite a lot. Um, you know, building up lots of nice community, but not necessarily doing the work and thinking about well, what's my sales funnel and how am I going to make money and where do I want to be in year two and year three. So a lot of that came from just, you know, literally learning the ropes and not necessarily believing I had all the right credentials. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs I speak to in that first year feel like a fake or they feel like, well, who am I to charge for this? Or do I really know much? I mean, how am I going to stay in business? So for me, self-belief was critical, and how I got that was through um, actually doing some personal development work. I would read avidly. I would watch the right videos where I'd be learning from experts. I invested in myself um, through courses or programs that I thought were great quality, and then I actually went ahead and took action on those. And one of the best books that I probably read in the first two years in business is Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield, because I remember reading that a couple of years ago and just going, oh, yeah. You know, I actually have to step up and turn pro. There's a point at which you need to stop telling yourself all the wrong stories and just say, you know what, from now on in, I'm going to turn pro and everything I do is going to be to the best of my ability um, with the best quality investment and I'm going to make this amazing. So you've been traveling for, for years now and you, you've been running your business while, while, while traveling, leaving out of your suitcase. When I'm on vacation, as soon as I leave town, I'm not interested in business. You know, I hardly even check my email. So how do you, what's your secret? How do you stay focused on your to-do list and your tasks? And how do you get things done and, and not get, you know, just totally distracted by all the different <laughs> things you could be doing? Uh, it's taken quite a few years of figuring that out. And um, actually, I think the secret is discipline. So just being disciplined with my time and knowing how much I appreciate it and what I want to be working on. Um, I write about this in my book, actually. I have a six-step daily success plan, uh, which I won't go through right now, but essentially it is just really knowing where you want to put your time and what you want to get out of your day, having a very clear sense of what that day looks like. Predominantly, I tend to do my best work in the morning. I will get up, I will do exercise, and then I'll focus for one to two or three hours on that work. Then I'll go out and explore and have fun and adventure and be a tourist, and then I'll come back 
um, you know, late afternoon, early evening, do some more and then take time off again. So that's something that I found worked well for me depending on where I'm at. Um, if I'm going to be launching something or doing a big piece of work, then I will definitely try to be in one place for a couple of weeks or more. I'll try and get myself an apartment or um, rent something or a hotel room that makes sense with great Wi-Fi. And I think it's just come back to like really figuring out what my year looks like. Like when am I taking off more time? When do I want some downtime? When do I want to be focused in on work? When do I just want to be traveling and working and enjoying? So it's really just been trial, um, trials and experimentation, but I have a very clear sense of, you know, freedom and how that looks to me. So I just make sure that I continue to balance myself I'm not going to say work-life balance but balance my activities and make sure that I'm having fun and what was the best advice that you have ever received either personal or business advice uh, that's a good question hmm I think my favorite quote is probably the best advice that I ever like give to myself from Yoda which is um, do or do not do or do not there is no try uh, which I love because whenever I've been procrastinating or becoming unfocused or doubting something or just not really doing the stuff that I want to do, I just come back to that. So I'm a massive action taker. I implement everything and I think it's come down a lot to Yoda and just remembering his wise words. And he makes me smile. So uh, I want to ask you, what advice do you have for me for for my for my blog, I just wanted to ask. I I tend to ask this one question close to the end of the interview. Uh, you know, I've been interviewing you know probably about 60 different entrepreneurs from very small startups to businesses like 50 million in size. Um, how can I how how can I make my site to stand out? What would be your your one advice for me? Well, I think I gave you some advice when we first um, <laughs> emailed. But I would say just probably injecting more of yourself into your blog and your site. So um, currently, when you come to your site and look at the podcast, etc., I think there's a lack of George in it and your photo. And also on the write-ups for the podcast, I think you could have more feeling and emotion in that. So they're quite short right now, and I think it would be great to give more insight into the person you've interviewed, all the things that you're going to get out of it, why you enjoyed the interview. Because people like that. You know, I always put in a personal touch in mind. I'm, I'm like, here's what you'll learn when you're listening to this interview, but here's particularly what might relate to you or you might find the best to look at. Um, so just really bringing more of a sense of you into this. That's good advice, Natalie. How can people <laughs> connect with you? They, I'm all over social media, but the best place to come, I guess, is suitcaseentrepreneur.com and say hello. All my social media sites are featured there. I'm also on Twitter, at Natalie Sisson. Same on Instagram, same on Facebook. Um, but I would love for you just to come across and say hello. Well, Natalie, thank you. And as I mentioned earlier, I've been, I've been reading your blog for years. I really enjoy it. And I think you have an awesome uh, lifestyle. And I really, really appreciate you coming on. And I wish you much luck with the Suitcase Entrepreneur going forward. Thank you so much. Bye.